Good morning. The, uh, the 4th of July is upon us. Um, it's not really 4th of July weekend because it's sort of in the middle, but uh, it's upon us. And so uh, I picked a movie for our God in the Movie series this morning about baseball. Because I figure that's America's pastime, yes? At least it used to be. I, I got curious, you know, as I do, maybe you do sometimes too. So I started to research why is baseball called America's pastime? Who first called it America's pastime and all the rest? Well, it's because it's been around the longest, at least in terms of sports, 140 years. It's been a part of our culture. It comes from the English game, everyone agrees, uh, rounders, I guess is the British game. And uh, especially after the Civil War, uh, high popularity for baseball. Remember, the culture um, hadn't yet been splintered in the way that it, it continues to be splintered today with so many different things to do and so many different pastimes. And baseball for a time, especially after the Civil War, before television, before football, before basketball, certainly before smartphones, uh, this is what kids would do and families would do after school. They would play baseball. And even adults, there wasn't so much to keep track of. You know, everybody knew a little bit about baseball and could talk a little bit about baseball. So that's why it's still referred to as America's pastime, even if it's probably not the only one, certainly not the only one today. Um, and briefly, if you're visiting this morning, what is this God in the movies thing? Why are we looking at God in the movies? In short, as believers, we're looking at God in the movies because a culture out there who perhaps doesn't know God very well is looking at the movies. And people love movies, and they're interested in movies, and they want to talk about movies. And so for us to take a look at movies as well and compare and contrast those messages in those movies with what God says, with what the Bible says, with what we know truth is, those movies then can be a talking point, a way to be in the world, even if we're not of it. We're called to be in it. And it gives us an opportunity to maybe talk to someone who wouldn't be caught dead in church until maybe they are dead and laying there. Well, sorry. Um, it gives us perhaps something to talk about with people who just for whatever reason they're turned off by church, they're turned off by uh, Christians. Uh, the, the Bible, you know, it sounds old to them. They don't quite understand. God's truth is everywhere, even in those powerful stories of the movies. And we have talking points with people, in my opinion, through one of their cultural tools that they already respect. And we can use movies to say, hey, you know what, that thing in that movie? That is a lot like, or a lot unlike, what God and his kingdom is. Um, and I've seen it happen over and over and over. You can, uh, kids especially who love movies, I tell you, parents and grandparents, this is an inroad uh, to talk to your kids about truth and God sometimes. So that's what we're looking at in movies. And, um, you know, baseball movies, while we don't find baseball in the Bible, um, athletics or sports is in the Bible. Do you know? And where it's in the Bible is in a very deep way, especially in the New Testament, because athletics and sports make up one significant piece 
of the cultural context of that Greek and Roman world. Those Greeks and Romans loved the arena. They loved sports. And so as this Jewish gospel left its Jewish culture and setting and went into that Greek world, these disciples, and in particular the Apostle Paul, like any good teacher or speaker would do, checked out their audience and said, man, these people are into sports. And they used many sports pictures in the Bible. That's why the Apostle Paul on many occasions, and the author of Hebrews as well, compares the Christian life and witness to running a race, right? To get the crown or the prize. And then in Revelation, the Apostle John, I shared this with you a couple years ago, John uses pictures, many believe, right out of those Olympics that the ancient Greeks so adored. One small example, those four horses of the apocalypse, remember? Those four horses of a different color? I wonder if that's where we get the saying, horses of a different color. I don't know. Someone look that up. But those four horses of the apocalypse, did you know that four horses colored the same way were part of the opening ceremonies of the ancient Greek Olympics? And so John uses that picture of four colored horses that they were very well familiar with. He uses those words to describe the amazing truth and vision that God gave him in Revelation. And also, of course, we know that God is a huge baseball fan because he began the whole universe in the beginning, right? Okay. That's as good as it gets. So... <laughs> So, let's see, let's see if or let's see what this baseball movie, Moneyball, might have in it that helps us understand, and hopefully even more than us understand, helps us perhaps to maybe talk about God and talk about the kingdom of God with a world culture who perhaps knows movies but does not yet know the Lord. And so now, John Burns and Amanda Cook step up to the plate. So that's, that, you know, you're supposed to laugh. So that's a pun because it's a baseball movie. Okay, give me a J. No, sir. I need, the, I need the Jesus sign crew. Every time I point to them, I went. <laughs> Here's Burns and Cook, once again with their amazing summary of Moneyball telling us everything we need to know. Let's watch. Here's everything you need to know about Moneyball in five minutes, 24 seconds. It's 2001. The Oakland Athletics have lost in the playoffs to the New York Yankees. The team's three star players are free agents and losing them is all but certain. The A's general manager, Billy Bean, insists that the team's only hope for success is in a bigger budget, but his requests are met with unyielding refusal. I need more money. We don't have any money. I can't money, compete Billy. against a $120 million payroll with $38 million. But we're not going to compete with these teams that have big budgets. I'm asking you to be okay not spending money that I don't have. At a meeting of the talent scouts, the essential qualifications of replacement players are discussed. Got an ugly girlfriend. What's that mean? 
Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. Okay. But Billy is frustrated by the inequalities inherent in the professional league's structure. The problem we're trying to solve is that there are rich teams and there are poor teams. And then there's us. It's an unfair game. While visiting the Cleveland Indians, Billy and the Cleveland general manager trade baseball players with the same amount of reverence with which boys trade baseball cards. When Billy fails to secure a single player from Cleveland, he hunts down the cause of the negotiation's failure, baseball analyst and quintessential nerd Peter Brand. Hey, what happened in that room? I'm not quite sure what you're asking me, Mr. Bean. What did you tell Bruce? <clears throat> Peter has revolutionary theories about how baseball teams are created. People who run ball clubs, they think in terms of buying players. Your goal shouldn't be to buy players, your goal should be to buy wins. And if I say it to anybody, I'm, I'm ostracized. After some reminiscing about his own failed career as a star baseball player, Billy calls Peter to inform him that at least one Cleveland acquisition was a success. Pack your bags, Pete. I just bought you from the Cleveland Indians. Pete immediately gets to the work of explaining inscrutable formulas which will allow him to create a winning team at an affordable price. When Billy informs the scouts of his new formula-based picks, they balk with self-righteous indignation. You're not going to win, and I'll give you a nickel's worth of free advice. You're never going to get another job when shot fires you after this catastrophic season you're about to set us all up for. At the opening game, Billy discovers that it was not only the scouts who were against his plan, but also the A's manager. The manager refuses to play Billy and Pete's picks, and the game does not go well. A conversation with the manager demonstrates that no one is on board with Billy's plan. This is about you doing your job and me doing mine. Mine's being being left alone to manage this team you assembled for me. Good meeting. Every time we talk, I'm reinvigorated by my love of the game. Well into the season, the A's have lost 14 of 17 games. Everyone blames Billy for building a faulty team. Billy must find a way to coerce the manager to play the game his way. He trades the A's remaining star players, forcing the manager to play by Pete's rules. It doesn't go over well. You are outside your mind. In the locker room, Billy gives an inspired speech. You may not look like a winning team. But you are one. So, play like one tonight. And all irony aside, that is precisely what they do. Under Billy and Pete's plan, the A's win 20 games in a row, beating the all-time record winning streak. Billy has greater ambitions for the team. Any other team wins the World Series, good for them. But if we win, on our budget with this team, we'll change the game. Ultimately, the A's are defeated in the playoffs. Billy and Pete's formula is written off as a failure, at least by popular media.
But if the formula has failed to capture the hearts of the fans, it has certainly caught the attention of the Red Sox. What's this? I want you to be my general manager. That's my offer. Billy considers an offer from the Red Sox that would make him the most highly paid general manager in sports history. But in the end, he remains with the A's, committed to the idea of winning the last game. Just enjoy the show. Hey, give it up to John Amanda. Another good job with him. Summer, you know? Yeah. You know, a couple of things, uh, the, a lot of things in this movie we could compare and contrast, um, um, but a couple of things that stood out for me for our purposes this morning. See what you think. First, um, as I watched um, Billy Bean develop with his sidekick, Peter, this uh, formula for choosing their team. And I saw that they did it in a way that nobody else did. It struck me that, you know what? That is a lot like God. The world, our culture, unfortunately, especially in athletics, which maybe makes this contrast even more potent, the world, our culture, tends to idolize the strong and the powerful and the wealthy and those who carry the biggest stick, the beautiful people, whatever you want to name it. The world's standard for what it means to be successful is one thing. And throughout the Bible and throughout history, God relentlessly contradicts and goes against and pushes against who the world calls great because the world's system is based on self-love. And as much as I can discuss with you the merits of competition, competition at its heart, it seems to me, is my betterment, my being a hero, my being looked at as better at your expense. It's called humanism, where the person, the human, the man, the woman is the measure of all things. And the world standard tends to rank success that way. But God, like Billy Bean and Peter, has his own radical way of valuing people. And have you noticed, God tends to champion the humble and the meek and the oppressed. God tends to move toward almost intentionally to make a point that the world's way is not the way for true power. God moves intentionally toward those the world disdains. 
and wants to cast aside and wants to say to, you don't measure up. And it's almost as if God goes to that trash heap of the world and says, you've been told you don't measure up, huh? How about you and I partner and we show the world and we show the universe that you do together with me. As the Bible says, and then he picks people up out of the miry clay and he champions those the world says, they're not good. Not many tearful moments in Moneyball, but as I was making that comparison, a few tears at least, my eyes welled up a bit because it just, I was seeing the connection when Billy Bean goes into the apartment of a young couple and this former baseball player, he's been passed over by everyone else. He was a catcher. He has a problem with his shoulder and he couldn't throw. Billy Bean and the Oakland A's come into his house and say, here's a contract, we want you to play for us. And the guy's like, I can't throw. And Bean says, that's okay, you can play first base. And Bean says, it's easy. Then he turns to his scout friend who hasn't bought into Bean's way yet and says, hey, Gus, or whatever his name Tell them how easy it is. And the, and the scout says, it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do. <laughs> but the look on that passed over player's face, like shocking disbelief that the Oakland A's would want a ball player that can't even throw. He hugs his wife after they leave and and he shows up, and, and I thought, yeah. We get to be a part of, we get to be part of, of going into homes and reaching people who the world has thrown on the trash heap and say, no, the Oakland A's don't want you. Colorado Rockies could probably use you. No. <laughs> no, the Oakland A's don't want you, but guess who does? Want you. <laughs> the almighty God of the universe who made everything from nothing and who is deeply in love with you wants you. And he doesn't just want you to pinch hit. He doesn't just want you to be a role player. He wants you to be an all-star with him on his team, this team of life, this life team. That's one thing I thought that we could talk about with the world who's touched by Billy Bean's system that chooses those that everyone else says is no good. Because there's a lot of people in the world 
There's a lot of people in the world who struggle with feeling like they measure up. And unfortunately, when it comes to the church and God, they tend to feel they don't measure up there either, but not because of anything God has said. Unfortunately, all too often, not because of God, but because of us, his followers, make them feel somehow, some way that they've got to be good enough first in the world's way before God will be pleased with them, love them, accept them, and hug them home. Second thing that um, struck me about this movie gives us a, a biblical talking point, I think, and and this one uh, is related. I was on um, scrolling through Facebook this week trying to catch up with people's statuses and um, the following post caught my eye. And it said this, you always have two choices. To accept things the way they are or to have the courage to change them. And I thought, that's not too bad. There's some truth there. I might want to tinker with it, but what do you think about that? Is that true? No matter the circumstance in life, isn't it true that uh, those two choices are there with whatever circumstance it is? We can either choose to accept it the way it is, or we can choose to have the courage to change it. So help us God as believers. Billy chose to have the courage to change something he thought was unfair. And when you see a bit of his backstory, you saw a bit of it in the intro video, I want to show you an extended thing. You can see his own hard story. I forgot to mention the picture you saw. That was the real Billy Bean uh, earlier, if they had that on the screen. But it's a true story. I, he was drafted in the first round by the Mets, and he subsequently spent six brutal years bouncing around, I think, four different teams, and finally quit a 219 lifetime hitter. And he started out with all the accolades in the world. This is a can't-miss prospect. He's great. It just takes time. And then in the middle of the clip, you'll see those positive statements stop as he continues to struggle. And then the harsh reality of those world standards come in and listen to what they say about this kid. And God, Billy Bean was prepared well to take a courageous stand the next time he came across a difficult circumstance. Let's watch. Billy Bean was taken in the first round of the amateur draft. I think this is feeling of Billy Bean where they do it. He's young, he's talented, true five to a player with speed, arm. This guy is a can't-miss prospect. This is a great, great sign for the New York Mets. And it could be the turnaround that they've been looking for. Oh! Watch him get the last two 
Philippines, an interesting pick. Turned yeah, out in uh, scholarships, he could have gone to, to Stanford. He could have you know, you don't find out. You see Bean Astral very both about that. This guy has never failed at anything. He's a young guy coming out of high school. Billy was going to go to college. He could have been a great football quarterback. Could have gone to the NFL. There's not an organization in baseball who would not have taken a chance on this young guy. He didn't pan out. That happens every year. Some do, some don't. I mean, if you're having any doubt at all about this get him a scholarship. Your son was born. Few scouts can go into the mind of a young man and determine whether he's really confident about what he can do. So you can sign him based on his ability, but then he's got to be successful to be confident. And once he becomes confident, that's when you've got something. You make a decision on what you see, and things don't pan out. You move on. That's baseball. Many are called, few are chosen. Later in life, Billy gets a chance as the GM of the Oakland A's. And he's faced with an unfair system he feels is unfair that he wants to change for the better. And he and his sidekick, Peter, come up with this plan, and it is not popular in the world culture of the baseball time of the day. Alienates his scouts. But he sticks with it because he believes it's the best way, the right way, to do it. He gets discouraged when, even after the remarkable success they had, they don't win the big one, and the sports pundits then seem to ignore all of the success they have because, right, there's first place and then there's everyone else in the world's system. And he gets discouraged. And I love what Peter the sidekick does to his boss. Peter shows his boss a clip to encourage him. Take a look at that clip and ask, in what context might something like that encourage you and me as believers? Let's watch. Come with me to the video room. I want to show you something. No, man, I'm not for film right now. Come on, seriously. Come on, Billy, come on. The Visalia Oaks and our 240-pound catcher, Jeremy Brown, who, as you know, scared to run to second base. This was in the game six weeks ago. This guy's gonna start him off with a fastball. Jeremy's gonna take him to deep center. 
Here's what's really interesting. Because Jeremy's going to do what he never does. He's going to go for it. He's going to round first, and he's going to go for it. Okay? This is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Oh, they're laughing at him. And Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He hit a home run and didn't even realize it. How can you not be romantic about baseball? It's a metaphor. I know it's a metaphor. Okay. Pete, you're a good egg. I'll call you. Right, and Pete te intends to encourage Billy, it, you hit a home run and maybe you hit a home run here and didn't even know it. Here's how that um, metaphor, how it often translates for me. Um, maybe you can relate. One source of discouragement um, for me as I try to live in obedience and love. Obedience to God's commands, to love Him and love others. One area the devil pushes in me that seeks to discourage me is I don't get to see immediate results always, or the results I do see aren't big enough. Does that ever discourage you? It's what discouraged Billy. Here's the thing. As followers of God, as followers of Jesus, we're asked to trust something that goes against those world's standards and definitions of power. In short, we're asked to trust that unconditional love works. And it not only works, but it's the best way to success. And here's the thing about love working. Yes, God uses love and other means to transform things instantly. He does that from time to time. But it seems to me a study of the Bible and certainly human history and certainly in my own walk in life and others that I talk to about this, God's favorite method of bringing about change seems to be through process. 
And my hunch is that's because God loves relationships. And he wants change worked out in the crucible of relationships, ours with him and ours with others. And it's easy to get discouraged because of the time that it takes sometimes, I think. But here's what I picture one day, and I trust it'll happen just as Jesus trusted it would happen when he gave his life, even though it looked like it wasn't going very well and looked like it was a complete failure as he gave his last, last breath on the cross. I picture one day when we get to heaven, when we die, I picture one day, I imagine one day that we'll get to see God will show us that in many ways that we didn't even know when we obeyed and when we loved we hit a home run. Even though it might feel like while we're doing it we're tripping over first on the way to second. Billy Bean trusted his system and it changed the game of baseball. Everyone selects players now using more or less Peter and Billy's model. And he persevered through being discouraged because he believed that that was the best way. The question I have for us this morning, do you trust that sacrificial love is the best way? And that's a hard ask in the face of a culture who says, I'll paraphrase, <laughs> you know, Jesus is often spoken of as the most loving person who ever lived. And I'm sure those of you who know the Lord, at least here today, would give a hearty amen. But you know what he was also? He was also the most courageous that ever lived because he died such complete trust it took that sacrificial love was the best way. His closest followers had all abandoned him. Nobody seemed to have got it. He's crying out to his father who for the first time in his life he doesn't have any connection with at all because God's turned his face. Why have you forsaken me? But he saw it through because he believed sacrificial love was the best way. And so did the disciples and so did the apostle Paul and others. And it changed their world. Maybe one reason why our world isn't changed more into what the kingdom of heaven is like is because the followers of God don't trust completely that love and obedience is indeed 
the best way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you not only told us that sacrificial love is the key to happiness, is the key to everything, is the key to life. You showed us when you came as Jesus and you gave the life of your son and he gave his life in love and obedience. Father, would you give us that same level of trust? Father, I pray against the devil and those evil spirits who would seek to discourage us, seek to make us feel foolish or weak for loving. Instill in us a deep trust and a deep certainty that love indeed is the best way and the only way, really, to the kingdom of heaven. In Christ Jesus, your Son, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, for benediction this morning? It comes from the book of Joshua. God tells Joshua these encouraging words, and he tells Joshua to tell the people the same. So we'll pass them along to you this morning. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Have a great week. Enjoy the 4th.